Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Every morning, as you know, I, unlike many of you, I have a cup of coffee. And uh, one cup uh, at home, you know, it's Cuban coffee. You're only supposed to drink this much, but we drink a lot more than that. And my job, or one of my jobs, I've made it my job, is to choose the coffee mugs that her and I are going to drink from. Now, I choose these. Jackie, I think she just picks whichever ones are close by because she has no respect for our marriage. But I choose these, these mugs every morning. I make sure that they are always either matching or complimenting. Now, if you know me well, you know that this isn't shocking to you. This is just the way that I am. And so like uh, the seminary that she graduated from, that I'm trying very hard to graduate from, um, Southwestern, we have two matching mugs. And so if I pull that one, I'm going to pull the other one for her. We have these little ones that say Starbucks on uh, the outside there. And uh, there have been times where if I pull that one, we have this little like mug tree thing right by our oven. Uh, uh, stovetop. And uh, if I pull that one, there's one time where the other one was dirty, so I washed it so that we could use the same mug. We have these two that say on the outside, they say uh, our favorite coffee brand. It's called Cafe Bustelo. And uh, one of them said, Yo amo Cafe Bustelo, which I love. Cafe Bustelo is in Spanish. And the other one says, I love, in English, right? I love Cafe Bustelo. I always got the Spanish one because I know much more Spanish than my Cuban wife. And she got, she gets the English one, but the Spanish one broke one day. It broke. And so we no longer use the English one. It is out of commission. Now, you may think that that sort of choice is insane. You could say that it is certifiable, that nobody should spend that much time on choosing the right coffee mugs, Dave. But I am telling you that I um, am not just going to leave the sacredness and the love of our marriage up to randomly picking coffee mugs. That's just, that's how I roll, right? It is a symbol of our undying love for one another. At least my undying love for her. Uh, she could not care less. Every day, every, every morning, even this morning, we make a million choices a bunch of choices. Some of them super consequential. Some of them not so important, right? Small things like, uh, I'm sure many of you ladies today, you had to decide whether or not you were going to wear your hair straight or curly, depending on the humidity, how much work you were going to put into that. You may have to choose this week whether or not you were just going to fill up the gas tank at come and go, or you're going to wait till you could get to Sam's, you know, a little later this week and get it slightly cheaper. It's a choice that we have to make. Small choices, big choices, like uh, who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? What you will major in in university? These are the small and the large choices, some with consequences and some without. Massive choices and small choices. They all affect our lives to some degree, but I think it is very likely that the choice with the greatest impact on your life is not the choice or not any choice that you have made, but instead it is a choice that was made on your behalf when God chose you. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says very clearly, God has chosen you. Let's pray together, and then we're going to unpack what that could mean 
and what it does mean to your lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the reality of your choice and our salvation. God, I pray that we would leave here today resting in that concept at peace with your sovereignty and God, we would stand firm where you have placed us. We would hold tight to what you have taught us and that we would pray for one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. I saw this on Twitter yesterday. An epistle outline, a letter from Paul. Grace, I thank God whenever I remember you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being goofy. And Timothy says hi. All right, so if you've ever read a letter from Paul, this is pretty much the outline, okay? Slight variations uh, in, in different ones. I just wanted to show you this because I thought it was funny. And um, also to tell you, contextually, we're right here, all right? Hold fast to the gospel. We've covered some of this. Uh, it did say another word, not a bad word, but another word that parents don't like me to say because then the kids repeat it. And so I put goofy in there. So hold fast to the gospel. That's That's— what we're talking about here today. And what Paul does is unpacks how it is that we could hold fast to the gospel, what we should be encouraged or how we should be encouraged to hold fast to the gospel. Verse 13, he says, God has chosen you. But what I want to show you are all of these uh, phrases. Look at this. God has chosen you for salvation, through sanctification, by the Spirit, and through belief. This should be underlined. In the truth, all right? All of these qualifiers for why it is and how it is that God has chosen you. Essentially what this, all of this says is that if you or when you believe in the message of the Bible, then at that moment God begins to work in and through you for the good of others and the glory of God. That's what he's saying there, that that's at the point at which God begins to work in you. And, and in fact, by looking at the chosen idea that God has actually began working in you, even before you do that, if you believe or when you believe the message of the Bible. But what is that message? What is the message of the Bible? Well, one easy way to remember it, if you're writing in the margins or if you're taking notes, is simply creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In the beginning, God sovereignly created all things, everything, including you. And as the creator, he is sovereign over it. It is his choice what things are right and wrong, what is just and unjust. He is the ultimate creator king, the ultimate authority, and yet humanity in our representative Adam and Eve, rebelled against that creator king and broke creation, essentially uh, imprisoning us to sin and the effects of sin. We are all rebels to the creator king. And then God, through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, redeems us, rescues us, us rebels, in captivity to sin and the consequences of sin. And now, through the church and through Christians and ultimately the return of Jesus Christ is restoring creation back to being good and very good. Like he says in Genesis 1 and 2, this is the story of the Bible, the big overarching idea in the text. And what the Bible says that if you will trust Jesus and that sacrifice that he made on your 
rebellious heart's behalf, if you will trust him, then you will be saved from the consequences of rebelling against the king. This is what God has done. He has chosen you for salvation from those consequences. He has called you out of this. That all throughout the Bible, God is choosing the people from, through whom he will work. This is the story of the Bible. God chose Abram to start a nation. God chose Moses to free his people. God chose David, the seventh son, not the tallest or the strongest or the most good looking. He chose the seventh son to be the second king of Israel. God chose some fishermen. Jesus chose some fishermen along the seashore to be his disciples. He chose a tax collector sitting in a tax booth. And God has chosen the Thessalonian church and our church and other Christians to begin discipleship, to redeem them, and then to ultimately restore them and his creation. This is the way that the salvation story, the saving of humanity unfolds in the Bible. It's not just that. That's not just what Paul is telling us as the foundation for our salvation, that we were chosen, but that also that he called you. It says there in verse 14, he called you, that there is this invitation that is going out. Calling language in the scriptures is most often used to be the idea of calling to salvation. God is inviting you to take part in salvation that I just spoke about a minute ago, to take part in that big story. Like you are standing next to that seashore, and right now in this moment, God is telling you, come and follow me. He's inviting you to follow him, to follow after Jesus. This call is a broad y'all. The you there is plural, and he is calling the church to participate in the restoration of his kingdom, but he is also calling you individually. God knows who you are. This is important because sometimes we will think that this sort of message, the story of the Bible, is talking to someone but not you. That surely God is loving and redeeming and restoring other people, but not me. That God cares about those whose lives are, uh, are, are perfect, those who have everything in line, those who don't occasionally mess up, or those who don't have hidden sin. But listen, those who are perfect do not need redemption or restoration. God is calling you. He knows your warts. He knows your potential and your problems. He knows all of that. And God is inviting you to trust Jesus. But the question would be, how do you know if you are being called? How, do, how would you know if you are being called by God to salvation? And I would just simply say it this way. If you hear the phone ringing, you are being called. If you hear the ringing, you are being called. If you feel what we call conviction in scripture, if you feel compelled, if you have never responded to Jesus and you feel that is right, that is true, that is good, I feel pulled toward salvation, then I would encourage you to answer the call. Respond to the invitation. Choose him back and be saved. Trust Jesus who has taken that penalty on himself and don't try to take the penalty on you. Now, I want to sidestep this conversation for just a second. Very clearly, God has unfolded his story throughout the scriptures in which God in initiates 
through mercy and grace, the salvation of his people. But we use this language called, I think, inappropriately. We use it and we do so at a disservice to our church and to the kingdom and to Baptist churches and to Christian churches. Most often when you hear people talk about call language, when they're talking about in the church, you know, you'll hear somebody say, I am called to something. We're using it inappropriately. And so my hope, I hope that here for just a second, we can adjust that just a little bit. Now I understand what that means. I understand how we're using it, but we should be a little bit more clear on what we mean by it. Like I said, almost always in the scriptures, whenever the Bible says that God calls somebody, he calls them to salvation. We are all called to salvation. We are all invited to respond to the gospel message. However, we use it typically as being called to ministry. And that's really a problem, okay? That creates a problem. One problem that it creates is that it, it, it uh, forms two kinds of people, two kinds of Christians, right? There are the Christians, your run-of-the-mill Christians, your normal Christians, you know, like you. And then there are special Christians who were specifically called to ministry. They are pulled out of that group to lead. And we get this idea that there's sort of like this hierarchy, that there are uh, us normal Christians, and then there's those special Christians that get like a daily briefing from Jesus every morning, and, and they, they just know him a little better. That's just not in the Bible. That's not in the Scripture. That's not what we believe. They're not special people that are pulled out like that. Secondly, so it creates two kinds of Christians. Secondly, it also makes this— um, I've, I've been struggling all morning on how to communicate this, but it, how do you argue— against somebody who says, well, God called me to do this, right? So you could have this person who stands up who's really mean to a spouse, who doesn't really care about the church, who doesn't sacrifice or, 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 or serve his church and doesn't present the, the gifts of the Spirit, but they'll stand up sometimes and say, God called me to be the pastor of this church, right? Well, who am I to argue, you know? God told him, right? And so I can't push back on that. And so there's this like, um, we used to say trump card, but I feel like you can't say that anymore. And so there's this, uh, there's this ace up your sleeve, all right? <laughs> you know, something like that, you know? There's this, there's this version of an argument that you can't argue against. And that happens. You'll have, you'll have people that stand up in churches, young people and older people, and they'll say, well, God called me to um, start this ministry, or God called me to do this. And so that language there becomes problematic. It also happens in young relationships. Young relationships. Sometimes you'll have one or the other um, member of a romantic relationship. If they're, if they're Christians, if they're religious, they'll say, somebody will say, well, God told me that we're going to get married, right? God said, well, how do you argue with that, right? Like God told them, apparently we're supposed to get married. I'm not really feeling like we should get married. And I've got all these red flags and my mama says he's trouble, but God says, you know what I mean? God said it. So that's just, let me just tell you, that's not the right way to use that language. That's not how that works. God calls all people to salvation. So then what do we do with like, uh, well, vocational ministry. 
like somebody who's going to work full-time in ministry, or I feel this very strong connection to this person. I feel, um, not just feel, but in my mind and discernment and, uh, and uh, advice, I'm being led in a direction. What do we do with that? Well, let's talk about the vocational side of things or just the ministry side of things. Are you called to ministry? I think it happens by lining up three things. This is just my opinion. This is just something to help you with. The first one is your skills and your giftings. God has gifted certain people in certain ways. There are people that are naturally born leaders. There are people who are naturally born communicators or artists or they are creatives or they are writers. God gives people certain gifts. And then there are skills that you pick up along the way, things that your mama taught you or that the, um, the college taught you or, or the, the school of hard knocks, right? You learn these things. These are all things that you have. They are raw material, right? And we all have those in various degrees and in various ways. And then on top of that, you have opportunities, actual opportunities to use the, gil- the skills and the gifts in a way that glorifies God. Now, I may believe that I would be an excellent trial lawyer, right? I believe I have all the skills and the gifts required for that. Not all the skills, right? I never went to school. But all the gifts to be an excellent trial lawyer. But I should not try a case, okay? I should not. I have no opportunity. In fact, if I walked into a courtroom and tried, um, there would probably be severe consequences for my client, all right? So uh, I would also say, like in my own life, I was like 15 when I felt led by God, that I felt pushed by God toward vocational ministry. But it wasn't until I was 28 that I became a lead pastor, all right? That I became the pastor of a church. I, I think it was because of this. I didn't have the skills, right? I was 15. I didn't know what I was doing. I, didn't, I, w- I had to wait till I was very mature and seasoned at 28, all right? And so um, that's where the skills, the gifts and the opportunity all line. What are you laughing at? I was, I was a very mature 28-year-old. And then the last one is you have affirmation. Look, I believe, even when Paul was called to salvation on the Damascus Road, remember, he was called to salvation. And then later on, the apostles affirmed him. Remember that story? Because they didn't want to let him in. They thought he was going to kill him, right? That was their affirmation. You have to have godly, wise people, maybe the pastors of your church, your small group leaders, other godly people in your life say, you know, you're right. We see this. You do have the skills. We have the opportunity. And uh, we, we see God's leadership in your life in this way. Y'all ever watch American Idol and all those people that are trying out that can't sing? They did not listen to other people in their lives. Somebody should have loved them enough to say, Mm-mm, don't do that. You think you have a gifting. You might have an opportunity, but don't, all right? Don't, or use a fake name, all right? So... These, this is how I believe, this sweet spot right here, this, when this lines up, that is your ministry. That's your ministry. So what I'm saying is this. Everybody has this. Not just me. You have skills, gifts, opportunities, and affirmation from other people. Use them for the good of others and the glory of God. You are all called to salvation. You are all ministers. That's what Peter says. That's what Hebrews says. We are a a holy nation of priests, right? This is our calling. This is what we are supposed to do. So everyone is 
called to be saved. Everyone is a minister. And because of that, in that groundwork, Paul gives the Thessalonian church three encouragements. He tells them to stand firm, to hold to the traditions, and to pray for us. Stand firm. Look at this verse in 15. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Be strong. Be where you are assigned. Be at the place God placed you. Last Sunday afternoon, right about three o'clock, this huge storm came through um, our area. I remember that, Conway. It just, it just hit hard. A lot of wind. We were right here in this room, many of us. We were affirming five new deacons to our church. And it was a really cool uh, ceremony. It was a really great time of worship and setting them aside. But right as it started, the wind hits and the roof right over here— um, it sounded like it was just about to like tuna can off of here, right? It was just going to rip off of here. It made this loud noise. And we were all trying to act holy and look for exits, you know. And uh, we're supposed to be paying attention, but I'm really thinking that door's real close, you know. And so um, that was happening. Well, Rich was up here. He was playing at the time. And he tries to encourage us. He's trying to encourage everybody. He pretty much says, like while he's playing, I think he was playing Amazing Grace or something like that. And he's like, listen, y'all, sometimes the wind hits and it sounds like the roof is falling in. We have no idea what that is, but it'll be fine. Let's all sing together, you know. <laughs> and we're all sitting there like, I don't feel encouraged, but I know that that's what he was trying to do, right? And we, and I, I promise, we don't know what that is, all right? There's something up there that sounds like that. But the next morning, when you drove around, there were tree limbs, there were trees down, all kinds of stuff. Those things did not stand firm. They were pushed aside. They were broken when things got hard. Paul says, you were chosen. You've been saved. God loves you. Stand where he placed you. Now you may say, why do I have to do anything? This is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? God's Spirit is working in me. Why do I got to stand firm? Why do I got to hold the traditions, why should I, or why do I, and not in a bad way, not like you're trying to be lazy, but why do you have to do anything? Well, I see it like this. Have you ever um, sawed a board? All right, I'm not a carpenter or the son of a carpenter. Um, I know a carpenter, but the, have you ever, have you ever sawed a board? I'm going to say this wrong. With a handsaw, not a circular saw, a handsaw. If you do that, right, and you, um, and you, and you go to push it, right, the teeth will cut uh, the board. But if the board is not secure, it'll grab the board and kind of slide it back and forth. You know what I'm talking about? That's why you got to like clamp it down or put a kid on it or something like that. You have to, you have to make sure that the board is solid so that the teeth will just grind through and cut the board. That is the solidness of the board is what the saw will use or the sawer will use to, to cut off the part you don't want there. Is everybody following me? So as a, as a Christian, it's your standing firm that the Holy Spirit is going to use, that God is going to use to cut off the pieces that are not supposed to be there. That's why when you're in a marriage and you're in that marriage and it gets hard and it gets difficult and it's troubling, but you stand there, you say, I am committed to being right here. This is what I made an oath and a vow to. Then it's in those times that you cut off impatience. You learn temperance. You learn to love in spite of your own pride 
and your own arrogance. Staying is what the Holy Spirit uses to cut off the pieces that you don't need there anymore, that you shouldn't have there in the first place. That's what stand firm means. He doesn't only say stand firm, but he also says hold to the traditions that you were taught. Now, this is where we started a couple of weeks ago. Why we're calling this series Traditions is because of this verse right here. Now, what Paul is not saying is to hold to traditionalism. Hold to traditionalism. There's a difference in holding to the traditions and holding to traditionalism. Traditionalism says that if it is old, it is best. And if it's the way we've always done it, it is the right way to do it. That's traditionalism. And that's not what he's saying here. You know, George Washington got sick and they bled him. You know what that means? They let all his blood out. That was a bad tradition. It's not something that we should keep doing. They used to put real blocks of ice in the real ice box, right? That's how the thing stayed cold. Used to share a phone line with everybody on your streets. That used to be the way. But things happened. Things changed. There was developments. And so we don't hold to those things. Could you imagine we just hold on? This is the way that we have always done that. That's not what Paul is saying. Don't hold on to the things just because they are old or just because it is the way that it has always been done. Now, I should make a side note here, and this is just as true. Just because something is new does not make it best, or just because it is the new way to do it does not make it the right way to do it. Both of those are running off of the side of the road on different sides of the streets, all right? He is saying, hold to the traditions, In this context, what traditions means is the passing on of beliefs from one generation to the next. Passing on beliefs from one generation to the next. This comes with two responsibilities, two burdens. First of all, it is this. If we are to pass on the traditions from one generation to the next, what it means is you're going to have to know what the traditions are. We got to know what the Bible says about faith, about God, about the church, about power, about sexuality and race and money and finances. We have to know what the Bible says about safety and security, about our enemies and our friends, about what we should say, what we should not say, how we should think. And how we should not think. The Bible speaks to all of that. And what Paul is encouraging them to do is saying, God chose you. He loves you. He sacrificed for you. So hold to what he said to hold to. Know the traditions. The first thing is that we're going to have to know what we believe. And the second thing is we're going to have to teach it to somebody else. You're going to have to actually teach it to somebody. And this takes sacrifice. It takes time and it takes energy. It takes volunteering in the next-gen ministries of your church. And it also takes um, sticking in with the messy. Listen, in order to teach somebody patience, you're going to have to walk with them through, guess what? Their impatience. And that is super hard. Nothing tries the patience of a patient person more than the impatience of an impatient person, right? All of a sudden, you feel super impatient with somebody who's just not learning the lesson. It's the same thing with like pride. 
You learned the value of humility because you were once an arrogant, mean person. And now you're trying to train up somebody and you're trying to show them, man, you can't be this prideful. It's hard. We have to walk with, this is why at Second Baptist, we put such an emphasis on the multi-generational thing. We need people, regardless of their age, we need people who have learned the lesson to teach the lesson. That's the only way that we're going to learn the lesson. Listen to me. We cannot get mad at the generation following us for tripping on something we knew was there, but we didn't tell them. We cannot get upset or impatient or angry with the next generation for not meeting a standard that we reached by the help of others if we don't help them. We have to invest in the other people. Listen, this is what Paul says, hold to the traditions. Let me ask you this question. How will they know if you don't know and you don't teach them? How will they know? So hold to the traditions. He says, stand where he assigned you. Be where he told you to be. Don't bail and believe what he told you is true. Hold to these two things. Why? Because he loves you. He chose you. He redeemed you. He's restoring you. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for us. It's pretty simple. What he says is this. Hey, you know God? You know, you know the Lord, and he loves you apparently, and he chose you? Could you do me a favor? Could you talk to him for me? He loves you, right? Like he chose you, he redeemed you, he sacrificed on your behalf. Could you just talk to him for me? Talk to him for us? He says, go to him and ask him two specific things. The first one is that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, that the story of the Bible would go out, that people will hear that. Here in Second Baptist, throughout this year, we're celebrating our 100 years, and one of our goals is that 100 people, we are praying that we get to celebrate with 100 people who are baptized. And so we are looking for that. Pray that that happens. Jesus loves you. If you're a Christian and you have believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I'm asking you to go ask him that other people will learn the same truth that you learned. Pray for them. We're praying that 100 families will connect with our church over this next year. Would you ask God for that? Would you pray for that? He not only says, would you pray that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly, but also that, you, that we may be delivered from the wicked and the evil people. There are people who would try to stop us. They're either ignorant or they're malicious or they don't know any better. There are people that stand in the way of other people accepting the gospel. Would you pray? Would you ask God to neutralize that, to stop that? It's what Paul's encouragement here is to say is that you know Jesus, Jesus knows you, would you ask him, would you pray? When we pray, we are making the statement and practicing that we believe God is capable and that he is compassionate, that he can do what needs to be done and that he wants to do what needs to be done. So that's why we pray to him. Listen, I don't ask the barista at the coffee shop about my broken air conditioner unit. She might care but she can't do anything about it. I don't ask my enemy to help change my tire, my flat tire. Why? They may be capable, but they don't care. God both cares 
and is capable to do something about it. So in that case, ask him. Ask him if he will. This is a great reminder. Paul is telling us not that we do these things in order to get picked by God, but we do these things because we were chosen by God. He loves us, and so we stand where he told us to stand. We believe what he told us is true, and we pray for others. In all of this, he's making a pretty straightforward argument. God chose you. He has decided to do great things in and through you. So in that confidence and that encouragement, hold the line. Hold the line. I would say it this way. Choose him back. Choose him back. Look, I believe with everything in me that salvation begins and ends with the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that he is to be credited with it from start to finish. But I also know through experience that there is this element in which I trusted him. And I am encouraging you and begging you and asking you to trust him. And I know that as a Christian, every day, of my life. Every step that I take, every morning that I wake up requires me to trust him again. So let me ask you this. In what ways are you not choosing him back? He started this. He chose you. Choose him back. So like when you're all terrified about something that's happening on the, on the, I gotta admit, the first time I saw monkeypox run across my, uh, my news thing, I was like, I don't even know what that is, but now I'm scared about it, right? You know, In those moments, choose him back. Don't choose fear. Don't choose ignorance. Choose him back. In the relationships, when things get hard, when it's tough to talk, when it's tough to stay, choose God back. Be what God asked you to be. Choose him back in your thinking and in your heart and in your actions. Choose him back. We can easily see this sort of teaching lived out in romantic relationships, right? When somebody chooses another person and they choose them back, like a, like a wedding. But I wanted to think a little bit deeper about it. You remember like at a wedding, at most weddings um, in the United States or in the West, most weddings, at that point, the two people that are standing there bring with them a history of all these times where they chose somebody who didn't choose them back, right? That's why they're sitting there, right? Like me in high school, when there was this young lady that I would have affection for, and I communicate that, and she could not care less, all right? And so she does not choose me back. And we've all experienced that. We've all chose someone else, and they don't choose you back. And that hurts. It stings, right? And then there's that one day where typically the guy, I think, in most scenarios, but sometimes the girl, um, will, will get on one knee and say, will you marry me? And she says, yes. Or he says, sure. You know, that sort of thing, right? I, I, I was curious about this. Those of you who are married in here, how many of you at proposal, at proposal, had no idea if they were going to say yes or no? You were shooting in the dark here. Anybody? We had two in the last one. Okay, we have one. Just one? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way. Like, Jackie helped me buy the ring. All right? So this is, you know, like, this was not a shock to me, which I don't think I'd have done it if it was a shock, right? It's just the, you know, the way it goes. And so that's in a moment, that's why we celebrate proposals, because there's the time where you choose and they don't choose back, and that hurts. And then there's a, a time where 
You choose and they choose back and that's, that's beautiful. And at weddings, we're just showing that, right? We're just, we're just, I learned um, not too long ago that one of my sons, my middle son, he was actually going to weddings not knowing if they were going to both say, I do. He was actually hoping one would not. He didn't know that this was pretty much set, right? And so he tells me one day, he's like, it's so boring, man. I'm just like, yeah, I, and, and you got to admit, if you go into wedding ceremonies, not sure, that makes it so much more interesting, right? It's all this pomp and circumstance. You're like, whoa, where's the parents? I want to make sure I can see them, you know? It's about to blow up, you know? He was guessing when she was walking down the aisle. He's like, mm, I don't know. I'm looking at her face, looking at him. Odds are on him, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, he was just very disappointed that they always said, I do. So there's the, I choose you or I don't choose you back. And then there's a moment where they both choose. And that's great. That's, that's awesome. Butterflies and stuff, stuff. But I think that there's a deeper, more special moment, right? An even better thing. It's like after 10 years of being married and 15 and 20 and 45, when you flat know everything about that other person, everything all of the worst things about that other person. And you say in your actions, you say in your words, I still choose you. I know all and I still choose you. You hurt me and I still choose you. You act like I don't matter sometimes, sometimes accidentally, one time you did it on purpose, and I still choose you. You keep doing what I told you not to do, and I still choose you. And to hear the other person in their actions or in their words say, and I choose you back. This one over here hurts. This one over here is special and beautiful, but that one over there will move mountains. That is what Paul is talking about. God looks at you and says, I know everything about you, and I choose you. Sometimes you walk away, and it hurts, and I choose you. You require me to sacrifice everything, and I choose you. My friend, hear me. The phone is ringing. God has chosen you. He is inviting you. Choose him back. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.